got your Bibles, we are in the book of Philemon. I love this idea of be radical. Because today, and actually the next three weeks as we get into the heart of this letter, this whole idea of living radically. And, he, and here's the thing about this. The, um, we're really getting into the heart of the book. So if you, if you start there kind of in verse 8, we dealt with verses 8 and 9. The foundational pieces, this is a done out of love. His, his encouragement to Philemon, his sending back Onesimus is all about love, wanting what's best for them. But one of the things that I typically love about preaching Paul is that Paul was a bit of a, a, a linear thinker, uh, arguer. Uh, he, he likes to build his cases. And so he, he begins here and he sets the foundation. He builds on that. And then from there you move here. And from there you move here. And you, it's just, it's, a, it's, it's the way I think. It's the way I, I process things. And uh, you think of the book of Romans, you think of the book of Ephesians, and how they're just meticulously laid out. What's interesting about Philemon is that Philemon, though, is just this personal letter. And there really isn't that same Pauline structure. And what you have is you have these ideas that are crisscrossing kind of back and forth uh, that are woven together, and yet they're, they're distinct. And, and so what you begin to see are these major themes that are coming through. Uh, the idea of reconciliation, which is what we're going to talk about today. The idea of acceptance, which we're going to talk about next week. The idea of forgiveness. But it's interesting, reconciliation and forgiveness, he doesn't even use the word. But the ideas that are tied to the heart of the gospel are there. And so what I found is there's a little bit of a struggle to kind of pull it apart. But that's what we're going to do. So let's start reading with verse 10. We'll read down through verse 14. He says, I appeal to you. Now, again, background of the story, uh, in case you have not been with us, Philemon was a man uh, who lived in Colossae, which is over in what would be Turkey now. We think that he met Paul in the city of Ephesus, which wasn't too far away. Paul spent a lot of time there. He led Philemon to the Lord. He discipled Philemon. Philemon went back, helped start the church. He was a leader in the church, but he had a slave by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus ran away. And by the providence of God, of course, he goes to Rome and Paul happens to be there under house arrest. And in the sovereignty of God, he puts Paul in his path. Paul shares the gospel. Onesimus comes to faith in Jesus. He's radically changed. And now Paul is sending him back to make this right with Philemon. So let's pick it up here in verse 10. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person. That is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf, he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. I sent him back to you. This idea of reconciliation. 
You see, reconciliation is this idea when we have offended someone, when we have sinned against someone, when we have hurt someone, either intentionally or unintentionally, that we seek to atone, we seek to fix. Now, obviously, we all know we can't go back and undo What's done is done, but we seek to mend what it is that, that we have broken. And, and as I was thinking through, I mean, because this is such a, a, a major idea when it comes to the idea of the gospel. I think, you know, how do we explain it? And I, and I was thinking of a story that a, a dear friend of mine told me. Uh, his name is Andy Mervidin, and Andy was a chaplain in the army. Uh, in fact, he became the head of chaplains over our association that we work with. That's how I got to know Andy. And he told me this story once, and he's actually put it in a book. It's a great book if you'd like to read. It's called Unconventional Chaplain. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. But Andy told this story, and it's the story of Maharo Mona. And it goes back, it was 2002, uh, December actually, he's in Afghanistan. The Afghanistan war's going on. He's at a small base kind of on, on the outskirts, lots of activity going on, so it wasn't the safest place to be. But one of the things that they did at this base is they were helping to raise up the Afghan army. And so what they would do is they would do live, you know, round field tests, teaching them how to shoot mortars up into the mountains, the very mountainous region, and uh, to, to be able to fend off the, the enemies that were out there. And, of course, there on the firing range, one of the things before they did a live fire uh, exercise is they had to go and clear everything out, clear all the animals, but especially clear people. Because it was a very poor area and the, the kids used to want to go up because they could kind of find the, the remnants of the, the brass that came from the shell casings and stuff. That was a value. Uh, the other interesting thing is in this mountain, there used to be, some, there, there were some rich veins of lapis lazuli, you know, that beautiful blue stone, which they could go now and the mortars hit, it opens it up, they could take it, they could sell it. And so on this day, it was actually December 14th, where uh, <clears throat> they were going to do one of these live fire exercises, and they had, they had chased this group of 10 boys, kind of aged 12 to 16, off of this site twice so that they could do a live round exercise. Well, unbeknownst to them, unbeknownst to the Afghanis who were going to be firing, unbeknownst to the people in the village, these 10 boys decided that they would go around the backside of the mountain, go up and over the mountain. The, the clouds were hanging low that day. Nobody saw them. They ended up right in the target area at the moment the first three mortars were fired. Four of these young boys, 12 to 16, killed. One seriously injured is going to affect him the rest of his life. Quite the story of how it all unfolded and how the, they took the medics and rushed in and, and tried to do everything they could. But there was these, these deaths. 
And as they gave the bodies back to the families, you know, everybody's just heartbroken. The people, the village, the soldiers, it's just, it's just one of these devastating, obviously very unintentional, yet here in the fence has, has happened. And Andy had gotten to know his, his translator. He called him Sammy. It was an Afghani who now is a part of the army, but translated with him. And he went to Sammy. He said, Sammy, in this culture, when, when something happens either intentionally or unintentionally, if there's an accident, but, you know, to show remorse, to show sorrow, to, to try to seek restoration... Is there anything in this culture, some type of a, you know, custom that they do? And Sammy thought for a few moments, and then this, he said, Mahara Mona. And Andy said, well, what's that? He said, well, that, you know, if, you, if you're driving down the road and somebody's animal runs out and you hit it, you kill it. Or, or, or something would happen and the same, there's an accident. Or this is what you would do. You would go to the, not to the family themselves, but you would go to the leaders, the elders of the village. And you would get them to become your emissary with the family that, have, that had been wronged. And they would approach the family, and the family was open to this reconciliation. They would actually invite you to a meal. And so you go to their home, and you sit down for this meal, and you eat what they set in front of you. You drink. Now, one of the important things is in that meal, if the family is actually open to this idea of of being reconciled, there will be salt in the meal. And Andy said, well, what happens if you get there and the food's not salted? Sammy says, you probably ought to run. It's not going to go well. But if the food is salted and you get through the family, then at the end of the dinner, it will be your time to express your remorse, your sorrow. But then here's the next piece. You need to bring a sheep. And depending on the size of the loss is kind of corresponding to the size of the sheep. To give to them in retribution for what has happened. And if they accept it, then Maharamona has taken place and there will be reconciliation. So as Andy pondered on that, he thought, you know, because they had been working in community. In fact, just that afternoon, Andy had been teaching at the school and helping teach English. And they, they were building relationship. And, and now, of course, this had just had come in. And so, uh, and for those of you that have been in the military, you've told me things move slowly. And so it took almost forever, it seemed like, to be able to get this. But finally, they got permission from the higher-ups and they ex- reached out to the elders of the village who reached out to these four families, and actually the family of the young man who was also seriously injured. And they were open to this idea, and so they invited them into a a meal. And Andy told me about how on that day when they got there, it was just him and, and just another couple of guys with him. And of course, it was very, very dangerous, and yet taking off all of their body armor, laying their weapons aside at the door, going in, sitting barefoot in this home with these families, one of which was, uh, you, you know, an officer in the Afghan army. 
And as they sat there, a young boy came out and poured water over their hands. And then the tea came and then the food. And, and Andy said, I've never been so happy to taste salt in all my life because it was salted, right? Finally, the dinner is over and the translator nodded to Andy. And Andy now begins with translation to express the deep grief, the deep sorrow, the deep sadness. And they got up and they went outside and there in the back of their truck they had five of the biggest sheep they could find. And they took them out one at a time and led them with a rope up to these dads whose sons had been tragically killed. And said, we would like to give this to you. And the father would reply, I cannot receive this sheep in place of my son. And then they would say, please. And then the response was, as you wish. And they took the rope. And Andy says as they did this now five times to each of these families, the whole mood changed. Uh, not only just in the conversation, but even in the street, children begin to come out. And in fact, Andy had some candy that they often gave to the Afghani children and gave it to the, to the dads. And they begin to throw it and begin to be a party there on the street. But reconciliation had taken place. In fact, I, I contacted Andy. I said, Andy, I know I've seen the picture. So he sent me, these are the four fathers who lost a son and now they begin to express how much they appreciate the, the the concern and what was going on they were they the army was now remodeling the school in honor of these boys and these men were speaking now and there was relationship that was rebuilt that's what i mean when i say reconciliation you see theologically reconciliation is a huge part of what the gospel is about because we had sinned and offended our God, right? He put us in a perfect environment. We rebelled. We walked away. It was on us to reconcile ourselves to him. I think that's what's so interesting when you talk to people today about this idea of, you know, do you know for certain if you're going to heaven when you die, what would you say? And their whole idea is, well, I tried to do this. I tried to do that. I went to church. I tried to be a good person. You see, I think born in us is this idea that we know we have offended a God and we're trying to do something to appease, something to fix, something to mend. The problem is the offense was way too great. <laughs> that little sheep of hey, I went to church, isn't nearly big enough, right? So it created a huge problem. But God couldn't simply reconcile himself to us because God was the one who was the offended. We were the offender. It had to be us. So think about this. So what God did is he sends Jesus, his only son, who becomes one of us, Right? He takes on our human flesh. He now, as the second Adam, becomes the sacrifice. And he hangs there on the cross. And, and, and our sin is placed upon him. He is the lamb who dies. 
And to me, it's so interesting when you, when you look at what Scripture says about this idea of reconciliation. Paul says there in 2 Corinthians 5, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Christ was our reconciliation. In fact, two verses later, this is what he says, for he became sin who knew no sin, right? He was the one who provided for our reconciliation. So when we think about reconciliation, here's some important ideas that you need to understand. Number one, the responsibility for seeking reconciliation is not on the one offended, but is on the offender. We're the ones that are to go. In fact, do you remember that scripture? Matthew chapter 5, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking, he says this. If you are presenting your offering at the altar, therefore, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother. And then come and present. And of course, when we read this idea, you remember your brother has something against you. We, we just think it, oh, it could be just a personal thing. But if you look at the context, because right from there he goes, hey, if you're on your way to court, you're being taken to court by someone, settle it quickly. If not, you're going to be found uh, lost. You're going to have to pay it all. The idea here is, is that someone has something against you because you've sinned against them. You have offended them. You have created hurt on their part. And when you, you do that, it's your responsibility to go and to try to seek reconciliation. Now the problem with that is that's hard, right? To go and to own. I mean, in our culture, we always like to excuse. We always like to, you know, oh, well, I wasn't perfect. I probably didn't handle that right, but, but, but there was this, but there was that, but there was, you know, it's always somebody else's fault. Reconciliation says, no, 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 I, I'm going to own my piece of this. I remember junior high, eighth grade, maybe ninth grade, someplace in there. Um, at that point in my life, and I know because uh, it might be hard for you to understand because I'm so uh, mature now, right? But I, I used to be a bit of a smart aleck. My dad would probably use a different word that starts with an A, but we won't mention that in church. And it would sometimes get me into trouble. And I can remember the one day, I have a bad habit. I have it to this day. I like to rock back on chairs, you know, like the back two legs. I I, man, I got called out at that school so many times. So we're sitting in the foyer of the church during the service because I was serving, I think, as the janitor that morning. So I just had to be back and be available. And they had really nice, it was like living room furniture. It wasn't like this kind of a chair or a folding chair. It was a nice chair with the little legs underneath. And I was rocked back. And, 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 and somebody who decided to be my dad that day, wasn't, it was somebody else, but being very paternal, Hey, you're going to break those legs, right? And, uh, and so kind of in a smart, alecky way, trying to be funny, you know, you know, all this, I, I, I made a comment uh, that was not unkind, it was not, but it was just, it was not respectful. And I can kind of, rem rem I can remember thinking to myself, well, I probably shouldn't have said that. And it was kind of interesting, that was the last that was said, but... Each day as I went to my time with the Lord, I kind of would, that thought kept coming back up. 
And I'm, you know, I'm trying to push it away. And well, you know, I was just being, you know, I was just saying it out of fun. It wasn't that big of a thing and blah, blah, blah. But then the Holy Spirit showed up in the form of my dad. Because he had heard this story. And uh, he determined that it was not funny or uh, respectful. And that it should be something that I would go and try to reconcile with. Mr. Brotherton. That's hard, right? So the next Sunday, I went and found him, and I pulled him aside, and I said, Mr. Brotherton, you know, last week you said something to me, and I, I did not respond well. I was wrong. I need you to forgive me. It's tough. But relationship is restored. In fact, later on, you know, many years down the line, I became youth pastor. I had kids in my youth group, right? In fact, uh, they moved out to Arizona attended church here for a while. It's reconciliation. It takes humility. It also takes personal presence. Like verse 12 here, I send him back to you in person. In person. Uh, You know, you may not know this, but I'm kind of a verbal person. That's how I process things. I process things verbally. And every once in a while, I'll run into somebody who says, well, you know, Steve, that's easy for you. But, you know, I, I tend to be able to present, you know, what I'm thinking better by writing it down, you know. So they're into letter writing, you know. Uh, which, okay, but when it comes to reconciliation, if you can express it better like that, but you need to take it and hand it to them. You need to be there while they read it. You need to, that personal, pre- you know. Paul could have just simply wrote Philemon a letter. Hey, by the way, Onesimus got saved. You know, you need to be good with this. You know, he feels bad about what he does, but kept Onesimus. But he didn't. He sends them all the way back because personal presence here is important. So, folks, my question is this morning, is there someone, is there someone in your life that you know that you have offended, you have hurt. It's, it's kind of that thing that, you, you know, it just tugs on your heart because you're kind of there at the altar and God's saying, man, you need to go get this right. And it's important because reconciliation is about relationship. You see, at the cross with Jesus, we were reconciled to God, Right? And isn't it interesting when you think about how reconciliation has to be done on the part of the offender. Jesus became one of us. But Paul even tells us in Romans chapter 6 that when we accept Christ, we are made to to actually participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Right? We become a part of it. So we are now reconciled with him vertically. And now what we're called to do is to live this way. Reconciled horizontally. I think it's because Jesus knew we weren't going to be perfect this side of heaven. We are sometimes intentionally and often unintentionally going to be in those times when we create offense. And his great prayer for us is this, is that we would be one, right? I was thinking about John 17. How three times Jesus on his way is on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to be betrayed. And yet what he continually prays in this prayer is not for himself, but it's for us. Like in John 17, 21, that they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. 
I mean, it's the same thing he just told them back in the, in the upper room. And that is, is that by this, all men will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. This idea of unity. And yet the problem that we have as believers is we don't take this idea of reconciliation seriously. We hurt, we offend, and we choose to, to live with broken relationships. Often we leave churches to go someplace else to get away from broken relationships. We run, we hide. But God's ideal is that we would reconcile. Reconciled with him, reconcile with one another. Because the potential healing that can come to a relationship happens through seeking reconciliation. That the fixing, the mending, that the putting it in the past comes as we go humbly and personally. We own what we have done. We ask for that reconciliation. Because what reconciliation does is it seeks to rebuild the foundation of trust. It's the hurt, the pain, the offense, man, it's blown up the foundation. What reconciliation does is it goes and it lifts those heavy things out, the, the broken up concrete, and we apologize. And it's, we dig it, we clean it, we now pour new foundation of love and of trust. That's what reconciliation does. That's why we're called to do it that way. But it's tough. Let me finish, though, with this. There are some times in our life when reconciliation is not possible. And I know for some, this is a hard thought. In fact, some of you may be pushing back on this because you think, well, no, Steve, we're to live in reconciliation at all times. And and I would say, by and large, yes, but there are some caveats. And I, I don't want to put anybody into bondage today, so I, I want to make sure that I address this. Number one, sometimes it's not possible to approach someone you sinned against, sometimes because they're, they've died, right? There's that person in your past, and, and, and it comes to mind, and you feel bad, but, but, but they're gone. And so, and so you just allow the enemy to beat you up with that for the rest of your life? The answer is no. You, 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 you confess it, right? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us. We deal with it with the Lord. We know in our heart that, hey, we would have gone, wish we had, but we can't now. But we make it right with God and, and then we move on. Or perhaps they've moved away. We don't even know where they're at. That, that's one reason. Secondly, the offended person may not be willing. You know, They may not put the salt in the food when you show up, right? They may not be willing to meet with you for whatever reason. Well, you know, the point is that that part is not on you. Your part is to go. Your, your part is to try to seek reconciliation. How they respond is between them with the Lord and, and, and so you do your part. I think this is the idea of what Paul says in Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. If they choose not to, then you have to leave that with the Lord. Number three, some people are offended by everything. 
And they use this spiritual concept of reconciliation to make you want to have to come crawling back to them all the time. Well, number one, I would remind you that this whole idea of reconciliation that you have offended means that you need to go. That voice is not the voice of somebody else in your ear. That voice is the voice of God. Remember Matthew chapter 5? If you're presenting your offering at the altar, well, listen, if you bring your offering to the altar, who are you thinking about? You're thinking about God, aren't you? What voice are you listening to in that act of worship? You're listening to the Holy Spirit. If God tells you to do it, then do it. I remember I had a, had a lady in our church once who uh, got offended with me uh, for too clearly, clearly articulating the gospel message at her husband's funeral. Uh, even though I'd expressed that I was going to do that and thought she was good with that, um, I, you know, that there are those things. And so you listen to the Lord, not necessarily to people who are trying to do that. Lastly, one of the things that I've seen in, in my time, and I guess it's probably pretty close to my heart right now, because we've got two situations within our family of, uh, of gals who have been married for 20, 30 years, who have been married to men who, my opinion, uh, but I think it's God's opinion, are liars manipulators, emotional abusers, and I would go beyond that, but this is also on the internet, so I want to be careful. And uh, whether they know Jesus or don't know Jesus, God knows. They certainly claim to. And in their, and in their lying and in their manipulating, they use this when they have done wrong over and over again. And finally, one says, listen, I've had a, I'm moving on. Of, you know, now they come with this, I want to reconcile. And yet nothing has changed. It's hitting, you're, if you're a good Christian, you've got to let me do this. You've got to let me back in. And I don't believe that is ever at the heart of what God means in this idea of reconciliation. In fact, it was John the Baptist said, you vipers, you come, you know, trying to show the outward sign of repentance to baptism. No, 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 no. Let's see the fruit of repentance. And so I want to be very careful that you, you have to, I think as a believer, be open. We have to go when God tells us to go. But it does not mean that we have to allow people the opportunity to continue in bad behavior and ungodly behavior. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a couple weeks. But reconciliation is really important. Understanding that when we have hurt, when we have offended, when we intentionally, unintentionally, that we need to go and seek to restore relationships as our relationship with the Father has been restored.